Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. honoured to be able to share with you this morning and um, I'm sharing with you along the theme that we've been looking at of the supernatural church Um, and within that I think when we talk about the supernatural church we have to remember and I I personally have to keep reminding myself that the church is a group of people Um, so if we're going to answer the question of what is the supernatural church we have to ask okay well what kind of people are we then That's the only real question to ask because the church is not an ethereal concept or a building or um, an organization title, but it is the people of God. And when we say we're the supernatural church, what we're saying is we're a supernatural people. So what kind of people ought we to be in the light of that? And uh, one aspect of that that I would like to look at today is the fact that we are together and as individuals, supernatural servants. Um, when I talk about a servant, it's um, really the beginning, middle and end of this, uh, what I have to share with you is just going to be all about Jesus, because you can look at lots of other servants in the Bible, you can look at lots of other examples, but really, if you want the cream of the crop, when it comes to servants, you go straight to Jesus and you don't really deviate, um, because he was just the best and continues to be the best servant we could ever ask for. Um, So I'm going to take you to some very familiar verses. Would you like to turn to Philippians 2 for me? And we're going to read verses 1 to 11. I'd just like to say, um, before we read these verses, that this isn't a recruitment drive this morning. Um, This isn't... Um, some, some context around, and these are all the areas we need you to serve, because actually, uh, I was talking to Richard and Annie about this yesterday, and um, when you look in Acts and you see people who were willing to sell all of their possessions, and they were willing to wait on tables and pray for people, and you know, I don't see in there anybody asking them to do those things, it just happened, because in their hearts, they were servants, and um, it's great to have rotors so that we can be organized, and it's, it's a, everybody here who serves does an incredible job, but what I'm really concerned about is that we together have hearts of servants, because we're not just about serving to make a Sunday morning work, or this body of people work, but actually we're here to serve the world, um, so we're going to look today at what it is to have the heart of a servant. So, back to these verses in Philippians, from verse... Um, Uh, verses uh, 5 to 11, it says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. But for this reason, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, 
every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's an incredible description of Christ as a servant, and, but the purpose of this scripture is to encourage us to think the same way. This, the purpose of this scripture is, is, is not in, in and of itself to reveal to us what Christ was like, but to say, hey, this is what Christ is like, and you have the same mind. It's a real challenge um, to think, actually, it's not for me to just read this and be like, wow, Jesus, you're amazing. But it's to say, wow, Jesus, you're amazing. And I'm going to be too. See, whether you're an apostle or a CEO or whether you're unemployed or a cleaner or a teacher or a mum or a dad, a student, a sales manager, a media genius, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, all of us are attaining for one very simple, very clear accolade. And it's found in Matthew 25, 23. And it's well done, good and faithful servant. It's... I love it because it's an incredible leveler. Because there's no real... Um, when, we, when we receive that accolade of well done, good and faithful servant, there's no, um, th- there's no recognition of what you actually did. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you preached to thousands or whether you cared for your family. The accolade is well done, good and faithful servant. That's the point, is whatever we've got, let's just do it for the glory of God. Whatever he's called us to do, let's just serve him. And when it comes to who we are in Christ, we have been made his children. We have been chosen before the foundation of the world. We have been adopted as sons into his family. But when it comes to being a servant, it's a choice. In the light of who we are as children of God... To have the same mind as Christ is to not count any of that as something to be grasped, but to humble ourselves and take on a place of a servant. If we we couldn't act as anything but servants, then we wouldn't be reminded to act like them. (laughs) We're told time and time again that we are children, but we're reminded to act like servants and to become servants. And when it comes to the supernatural aspect of servanthood, I think... And I hope we would all expect that we would be seeing greater dimensions of gifts and the Spirit being manifest through our lives in how we serve. So that in that way, it would be really obvious why we're considered supernatural servants. Because when we talk about the supernatural, it's very easy to consider the gifts as the only supernatural element because, quite frankly, nothing, they're very obviously supernatural. I don't know about you, but I can't heal people. I can't know unknowable things about people. I can't discern between what is God and what isn't. They are spiritual things, and when they happen, it's really very sobering. I don't know if you've ever prayed for somebody and they've got healed there and then, where it's been like, it's been a miracle. But I'm like, oh, wow, (laughs) that worked. (laughs) And I'm very aware and conscious of the fact that I didn't do anything. This is what I did, Lord. Heal this person according to your word. That's it. I'm very aware in those moments. That was not me. (laughs) But it can be really easy to take for granted who I am in character and dismiss those things as results of good parenting or 
strict disciplines or even just even following the morality that's set out for us in the word. And all of those things obviously have a real genuine impact on our character and who we are. If they didn't, then the word wouldn't tell us to bring our children up in the way of the Lord. But at the root of all those things has to be Christ and his spirit. At the root of all of my um, morality, at the root of all of my character has to be Christ motivating. It has to be the spirit of God producing fruit in me that then becomes manifest and displays him. Time and time again in the Old Testament. I mean, I've just been reading through um, uh, Kings and Chronicles again, and, and it's just a consistent, such and such became king and did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And you're just like, have you ever like, watched a movie or something and you're really hoping for a different ending? You know what the ending is. You've seen it before, but you're willing them on. Come on, be different. And I'm reading through like, come on, do what was good in the Lord's sight. But time and time again, no, they mess it up. But why? Because they had this incredible law, they had this moral code set out for them, carved in stones and in their temple. They'd seen miraculous things that God had done, but it wasn't enough. Why? Because the natural is never going to be enough. It has to be from the core, the core of it has to always be supernatural. And it's the same for us now. We can't rely on this a good moral code and we can't rely on how we've been brought up but for the supernatural finished work of Christ and his cross to take effect in me and the spirit of God living in me every day to make me who God wants me to be. And God addresses this in Ezekiel 36. Um, and in verses 26 to 28, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh Um, and give you a new heart of flesh. God always knew that the issue was never that the law wasn't good enough. It wasn't that the standard was too high. It was that in us, we had to be different. We had to have a change of heart. And when we were all born again, we were given that heart of flesh. And now we are capable of being those people who follow all that God has called us to follow. In... um, In verse 27 of Ezekiel, I just read to you verse 26, but then it says, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. The thing is, when that heart of flesh comes into us, it causes us to behave those ways. It causes us to act that way. And although being a servant may be a choice, now that we have the spirit living within us, we have this new heart of flesh, we are able to actually make the choice to be servants, to not serve ourselves, but to serve him. He's given us gifts to serve, but he has actually made us capable of being servants unto him, not unto ourselves. He's given us a heart of flesh and not one of stone, and he's changed the way we live and the reasons for it. Um, I want to give you an example from my own life. Um, I've actually always been generally quite a helpful guy. I have been a a nice-ish chap, particularly when people were looking. Um, uh, Before I was a Christian, I would always quite happily help people. I had a a, a pretty good, again, when they weren't looking, respect for authority. Um, And all these kind of things were just, they were part of my upbringing. It was the way I was brought up. I was brought up very well, and I'm very thankful for my parents for those things. And then when I got saved, I've built upon those things, and I've built upon those um, characteristics in me, but, 
because they were kind of going all right, and when I came to Christ, there were a lot of other things that needed dealing with, um, I didn't really give much attention to what the root of those things were. And over the years, and this has been going on in me for years and years and years, I don't know if, I'm sure this has happened to you at some point, but God just puts his finger on something and he goes, I just, what you're doing is fine, but let's look at why you're doing those things. And he, and he puts that finger on and, he, and, and in me, he showed me, actually, the reason that I was doing those things is because I wanted people to like me. Um, I served and I was happy to do those things because I wanted, I wanted the accolade. I wanted the glory. I wanted people to like me. I didn't want people to think badly of me. And therefore, when they asked me to do something, it was always, yes, of course. And I, you'd hear, oh, Mike, what a nice guy. What a good servant. But really, God is pointing out, but it's all about you. And, and Christ has come into me and he said, look, I know what your real heart is. And your real heart, because I've put it there, is to bring me glory. And because of that, I'm pointing this out. And it's not going to be very nice. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. And he's changed me. And, and to be quite frank, nobody really would notice because all of the outward things are very similar. I'm still willing to serve. And now, even when people aren't looking, um, I'm, I'm very willing to respect authority. Uh, I mean, for me, one of, the, one of the big things was I was always happy to submit. But before, it was because... Actually, I didn't really think very much of myself. It wasn't like Christ who understood who he was and was willing to humble himself in spite of that. For me, I thought very little of myself. So when somebody else suggested something, it was like, oh yeah, of course, because you must know better. You must be much better than I am. But instead, God has come in and given me an inheritance. He made me, he's made me realize who I am in Christ, and my estimation of myself is up here, and yet now I'm still willing to submit. But all of the outward probably doesn't look any different. But in me, he's made it supernatural, because he's changed my heart. He's changed who I am. And for each of us, I, I, I want to be really clear. What I'm not saying is we now need to go away and uh, analyze the motivations behind everything we do. I wasn't analyzing this. It was just something where Jesus went, hey, you know those prayers about wanting to be like me? I'm answering them. <laughs> and he just put a little bit of, a, bit of hurt on, on why I was doing some certain things. And, but that's fine, because I want to be just like Jesus. And whatever it costs to become just like Jesus, fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, because it's all worth it. And you know what? I'm a more effective servant because of it. And now, when, you serve, when I serve, it's, people start to see the heart behind it because supernatural character, supernatural fruit is very visible that it comes from somewhere else. Um, and though the outward... Um, you know, people are really good at figuring out motivations, aren't they? And what's behind things. And you know what? When they figure out that Christ is behind why we behave, why we behave, then we get to tell them all about him. Jesus served for very few reasons. He served to, to glorify his Father. He served to love people and display the love of God. He served so that he might himself love God in his actions. He served to be obedient. But in all those things, that's why I want to serve. That's why I want to be a servant. That's what I want to be at the heart of me, is a heart that says, God, it's just all about you. And it's all about displaying who you are. So I want to take a look um, at one very specific aspect of the supernatural servant. 
and we're going to go back to um, GCSE biology, because that's as far as I went. And uh, Adam, if you could put up the next slide. We are going to take a look at the makeup of a supernatural servant, and one very specific part of the supernatural servant, and that is their heart. Um, I couldn't find one specifically of just the heart, so we've got all the different systems. Um, <laughs> but there is a heart up there. So, um, And my very simple GCSE-level biology explanation of the heart is it essentially has two halves, okay? And the two halves of the heart have two different functions. One, one side receives in the blood that is full of life and oxygen, and then the other side pumps that out to the rest of the body. It stops the body becoming stagnant. It stops blood staying in one place. It stops life just coming in and going nowhere. And in the same way, I believe that the heart of the supernatural servant has two halves. And these, halves, the, these parts of the heart are to keep life flowing through a supernatural servant. And the, the first half of this heart is, is very simply, I am a son of God. And I, I just want to caveat this, and I know many of you will know this, but the reason that I'm saying that we're sons of God rather than just we're children of God is because the Word talks about that. It talks about the fact that we are all servants. Uh, sorry, that we are all sons. It says in Romans 8.14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Anybody led by the Spirit of God here? Yeah? You are all sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The same last time I got to share with you, and I said, guys, sorry, but you're all, you're all the bride. Saying, ladies, I'm sorry, but you're all sons. <laughs> because it's not about gender. It's about inheritance. Um, and for all of us, you know what? We have the incredible privilege of carrying on the family line. We have the incredible privilege of carrying the name of Jesus and seeing his kingdom extended. It's a fantastic... If you're ever just thinking, you know what, I'd like to get into the word a bit, study about the fact that we are sons of God. It's amazing. But I just very simply want to say this today, that being a son means you are carrying the name of Christ. That follows through. It follows through all the lines. We are responsible for carrying on the family line of Christ and we have an inheritance to do so because we're all sons. And, and I, I want us to just uh, take a look at John 5, 19 to 20. And this is a statement that Jesus makes about being a son. Or the son, sorry. Let me say that. John 5, 19 to 20. Says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And for the father loves the son, and he shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you might marvel. And you know, I read that, and it's like I can hear, I'm a son. I'm a son. I'm a son. It's like you can hear the heartbeat of Jesus, and he's... he's I am, a, I am the Son of God and, he, and God loves me and I love the Father and I glorify Him and I, and he, and I only do what He asks me to do and I, the, what I see Him doing. It's just this beautiful picture of the fact that Jesus totally understands that He is a Son. The Son. 
<laughs> we are sons. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Jesus never lost sight of the fact that the Father loved him. And he never lost sight of the fact that in his service, he loved the Father. He wasn't obligated. He loved him. He loved him. And therefore, it was a joy for him to serve. And we must never lose sight of the fact that God loves us. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You know, there is no other religion in the world, not that we're a religion, but nobody gets that privilege. No one gets the privilege to be children of God. For God to be their Father. You know, it's a very obvious distinction. We are children of God, and that in itself displays such love that God would use that level of affection towards us. And knowing that we're sons of God, knowing that we're children of God, we receive the love and compassion that God has poured out on us and all that Christ has done for us, and it gives us safety and it gives us security like we were talking about earlier we know that our father is good we know that he is he has he is strong we know that he is faithful and it gives us all of those things but it also gives us value because we are here to carry on something we are here for a purpose we are here to carry on the family line of God we are here to extend his kingdom and we are here to bring many into it with us. And then there's the other side of the heart. The other side of the heart that stops it being all about us. And Jesus had this same experience. Jesus had this same half of his heart. And that half is the fact that it is the cross. It's the cross. It's the part of us that causes us to say, I know last week with David talking about encounter and encountering God, but this half of the heart says, I don't just want to encounter God for myself, but I want to be a conduit for encounter. I want to be, I want to be a way that people can encounter God because what I've experienced is so amazing. It's so great. I can't keep this to myself. I'm here to serve Jesus knew why he was here. He did not mess around. He was aware of what being a servant meant for him, in spite of being a son. And for Jesus, it was all about the fact that he had the cross in view. He humbled himself in spite of who he was. And we're to have the same mind. I just want us to look together uh, in Matthew 13, uh, sorry, Matthew 16, from verse 13. And we're going to look at um, a couple of, just a couple of accounts of Jesus talking to his disciples. And, uh, and it's, in, it's really interesting that these things all follow on after each other. And for me, it, as I was reading it, I thought this is actually a real description of what I'm talking about. So, um, we're going to read uh, from verse 13, and we're going to read all the way to verse 28, but we're going to make a couple of stops along the way. So, verse 13 says, oh, hang on, sorry, I'm in Matthew 13, I shouldn't have said that to myself. 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, 
who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. I'm going to pause there for a second. In this account we're reading of Jesus being recognized, um, not obviously publicly in the sense of amongst loads of people, but amongst his disciples as the Son of God. His sonship is, um, is revealed. And Jesus um, even says to Peter, Simon, you haven't figured this out, but this has been revealed to you from my Father. Jesus was acutely aware that the Father had spoken to the fact that he was his Son. And Jesus already knew this. This wasn't a revelation for Jesus but it was a recognition. And then what does Peter, uh, Jesus do to Simon? He says, you are going to become the rock on which I will build my church. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. He gives him significance. And admittedly, I can't say right here that he calls him a son, but certainly he gives him the ability to carry on the family line. He's giving him the responsibility of carrying on that which he started. And he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And then what, does the, what do the next verses say? From 21, he says, From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and the scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. But he turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns but man's. What's happened? Jesus, in light of his sonship, points to the cross. You're right, I'm the son of God, but I'm going to suffer many things. This is my fate. This is my cross to bear for all the people that I've come for. He was aware in his sonship that he had to not grasp onto that, but instead humble himself. And he began to talk about that. And what does Peter do? Peter says, no, no, no. I don't know what was going through Peter's mind. Maybe because he was, you know, he'd been turned from a, a weed to a rock. Maybe he was thinking, I'm Jesus' bodyguard. My responsibility is to make sure that he doesn't get hurt. But no, Jesus says, no, no, no. You're thinking about man's concerns, not God's. You're thinking about your own self. In light of your significance, you're not thinking about anybody else. You're thinking about man's concerns, not God's. So what does Jesus do? He rebukes him. But then from verse 24, he says, Then he says to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? Jesus is so gracious. He is so gracious that he gives us a cross. He stops it being all about us. 
He stops it being all about us and he says, you know what? In the same way that you've seen me as the son and now I'm talking about my cross, I'm going to give you significance, but I'm going to tell you why you're here and it's not for yourself. It's not to grasp onto all this stuff that, I've told, that I'm making you. It's not to grab hold of the, the blessing and the sonship and the, um, the inheritance and to keep it all for yourself. But actually, it's so that you're empowered to take up our cross, so that we are empowered to do all that Christ has called us to do in this earth and see his kingdom extended. Our sonship gives us life and it directs us in our purpose because our heads, it's like our heads are in heaven and we realize we're seated with God in heavenly places. We see that we've got a heavenly inheritance and that we now possess, that we now possess, but without the application of the cross, it's got nowhere to go. Those things are all great, but it needs the application of the cross. The cross keeps us aware that we can't grasp on to all that, um, all that that God has given us because we follow Christ's example. And we're those who serve, and we're those who make the sacrifices required to see heaven come to earth. But in all that, you know, whatever is required of us, we can never outgive God. He will be faithful in everything that we give up for Him. It's amaz- it always amazes me the fact that so many things it looks like I've given up for Him, but actually He's changed my heart anyway, like we were saying earlier. And the desires of my heart become the desires of His, and it also it just seems like no pain at all. If I was to go back to the Mike I was when I was sixteen and tell him all that we would be doing, he wouldn't want to do any of it. (laughs) Because a lot of it costs. A lot of it costs. But it's all worth it. And it's all been worth it. Because Christ has given so much more than I could ever... It's like David was saying before, it's all of him. But just all of me. All of him is so worth it. And you know, the Father was faithful to exalt Jesus. When we read in Philippians 2, he's exalted him because of his service. And there will never be more that we leave behind than the reward that awaits us for giving up all that he's asked us to, all, that, all that's required of us to serve. And I just want to finish with this. When it comes to all the things that God has asked us to do, it isn't something we have to try and muster up. It isn't, although become, being a servant is a choice, it's not something we have to labor at in the sense that we don't have to strive after it. It takes work. But you know what? The, that heart is pumping the very spirit of God around our bodies. That heart is pumping the very life of Christ. The same life that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is pumping through us. So you know what? We are fully equipped We are fully able to tackle whatever is ahead of us to serve. And when we do that, what I love is that not only the heart behind all we're doing points to him, but the actual works will be supernatural. The actual works themselves will be supernatural. And we will see incredible things happen that will glorify him. Uh, Could uh, the youth... Um, and the youth leaders just start dishing out the bread and the wine. Um, I'd like us all to just take the covenant meal together to finish. Um, 
we're going to take this together because I just, I just feel so blessed as I look at Jesus' example as a servant. And, and I look at him and I think, gosh, Jesus, you were amazing. You fully encapsulated what it was to live a life where you were significant. And when I say that, I can't, that's the biggest understatement I think I've ever said. The most significant figure in all of history and the most significant figure in all of the universe, the center of it all, Jesus Christ, humbled himself to become a servant. He took up his cross. And he's such a great example. And as we take this, the, the, the bread and the wine together, I just want us to remember the fact that he, because of his sacrifice, he has made us children of God. You are so, so, so important. You are so valued. You are so loved. You are so blessed. And yet, in the light of it all, the cross is right there for us to take up and serve. And it's a tremendous privilege that we don't just get to sit on the sidelines and watch it all happen, but we get to be involved in all God has called us to do and to see the kingdom extended in the whole earth. The supernatural church is simply made up of supernatural servants. And we are those people. So as we take the the bread and the wine, um, we're going to do that and we're just going to enjoy together just celebrating the life of Christ that is within us and the example that Jesus has set for us in serving. And from that place, we can go out this week, yes, willing to serve one another, to bless one another, but to serve the world. Because Jesus himself said, the Son of Man did not come to to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. He is so good. And and, um, just as the, the bread and the wine's coming around now, let's just pray together. Let's just thank the Lord for what he's done. Will's going to come around with the microphone. Um, So just give us a wave if you want to pray, just so that we can all hear you. (laughs) But it'd be great. Let's Let's just thank the Lord for all that he's done for us. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you so much that you came, you sent Jesus, and that he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, I want to thank you that you have set the example You have modeled what it is to be part of your church and to be those people who understand and know their value, know who they are, but yet are not willing to cling to it, but to to walk out the service, to to grab hold of the cross and to carry their cross that you have laid out before us. For all of us, whatever it is, Lord, we just want to say it's a joy to serve you and it's a privilege to serve you. Lord, it's not always easy, but it's always possible because you filled us with the Spirit. And Lord, we know that as we walk it out, it is a joy. Because the joy set before us, just like Christ, is so much greater than anything we could ever leave behind. Anything that it could ever cost us to serve you. Jesus, you are amazing. And we give you glory, God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.